Dumelang, Sanbonan, Abshin. Good morning, everybody. Firstly, I am sitting over there and listening to Ndadesiaka introducing me. I'm wondering who is this guy that he's introducing. It really doesn't sound like it could be me. Um, because sometimes I reflect and say, these things don't happen to people like us. It would have been easy for all of us to think those things don't happen to us. But we are now changing our narrative. These things happen to all of us. When we say these things happen to all of us is, I remember that my first inspiration of what is possible in life, I found it in a church. Every time I came to church, I dressed up while I was in high school. I found so many inspiring people and I always pointed to many of them. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that lady. I want to be like that person. I think one of the people I wanted to be like was the drama. I used to love how the drama was, was playing the drum. Unfortunately, I was less skillful in that. I never made it to it. Um, but other things were, were amazing. So, ladies and gentlemen, esteemed guests, parents, and mostly the brilliant young minds gathered here today, um, allow me to say good morning to you all. Uh, to the pastor, uh, Mr. Dan Mutawung and, and Ms. Nom, Nomtimba, thank you very much for having me. To the teachers and the parents, you do an amazing job. This country we have today is because we had amazing teachers and principals that instilled the discipline of working hard, of pursuing education the best way we could. I stand before you with a, with a heart filled with gratitude and humility. The moment holds a special place in my journey, and I'm deeply honored to share it with all of you. My name is Steven Zwane. I'm a proud member of this community. Uh, I did tell Tadesia Kahori, I was. <laughs> It's a Vuse is a primary school in Zone 7, right? Yes. And, and I used to stay in, in Zone 6. At the time, Zone 6 was pretty much new. My aunt uh, brought me here to study uh, grade, grade 4. It was standard 2 at the time. And they moved to Zone 17. And I do feel like I'm really a member of this community. And that is why I do want to articulate that I'm from here. Um, I'm the founder of a youth leadership entrepreneurship program. As, as articulated earlier, I, I work at a bank. As I reflect on my journey, I can't help but be moved by the incredible potential that resides with each of you. The journey to where I am today was not without its challenges. Raised in the rural heart of Mpumalanga, my educational path began late. I overcame obstacles, financial strains, and unexpected twists. However, today I stand as a living proof that adversity is not a roadblock, but a stepping stone to greatness.
So the story I'm going to tell about myself will resonate with many people here in the room. And most of the time, one of the ways we can learn is to ask them, how was your journey? How did you end up here? What did you do to overcome challenges? As it was outlined earlier, um, I was born in Paraguanath Hospital in 1976. Um, and because I was born in, in November, after the uprising, they named me Mandla. So every time I hear the, the challenges of 1976 and everybody says Amandla, I feel like in, in my mother's womb I was kicking and celebrating with all those students fighting for the rights. Um, and, and that kicking for me, um, because I was born from a young mom who was 15, um, and the young mom who was 15 was living in a, in, a, in a Christian family, and she felt like an outcast. Um, and, and I think my dad would have been 25, they would have met somewhere in Pumalang. So my mom's my family of my mom said to her, take the kids to their father, we won't have the, the kids here. It was me and my sister. And I remember what my mom then tells me is that she then took me to my dad. My dad did not have capacity to look after us. So she took us to Ubabumganwake, um, who happened to be a polygamist with four wives. And then they came there to visit. So when they went there to visit, um, they pretended as if they were visiting. In the wee hours of the morning, they left me and my sister, and they went away. And the entire family, when they woke up, they had these two kids, and they did not know what to do with them. Apparently, I was three months. My sister must have been 15 months. So there was a lehuta that took place that said, who's going to look after these kids? And I think there was a finder, finder that took place, and there was a goko called Goku Somelane, who was the first wife of my grandfather. She said, I'm going to look after these kids. So she already had five kids of her own. Me and my sister became kid number six and seven, respectively. Now, I cannot, I cannot tell you that I know what it feels like to be three months. But I can tell you from a reflective point of view what it meant. What it meant is that we became the slave of the home. So by age four... I was selling um, at pension pay points. I'm a sweetie, I'm a veg and fruits, age four. By age seven, I was so good at it, eh? <laughs> I promise you, I was making money. I, I, was, I was moving from one town to the other by myself, selling sweets and vegetables, whatever there was to be sold at the pension payouts. And, and I remember when all kids were asked to go to school, um, my grandfather sat me down and said, in this house, boys like you don't go to school. Um, and your job is to wake up at four in the morning, uh, start the fire, get the cows ready, milk the cows, get them out on the field. And I promise you, my son, at age 17, I'm going to give you a small room. I'm going to get you a wife. And you can decide whether you, wanna, you want a cow from me or you want to go to Johannesburg and work at the mines. So this school thing does not work for you. I did not understand what it all meant, but it looked like my path was clear. At 17, I was going to be a husband to someone. 
it was very clear that I might be a farmer at 17 with a cow that I have to look after. So that path was very clear. But there was something about the people who kept going to school that made me feel like I'm missing out. So I think I remember one day I, I sneaked out and went to, to school. It was a, a house that sort of was served as a school by day. And I have never been beaten up so much for going to school the way I was beaten up that day. I promise I never, want, I never set my foot on school that day, from that period on. So I was good for a couple of things. I was good for looking after the cows, from going to fetch water, from stealing some millies at times from the nearby farm, and I was selling in, in town on Saturdays. That was my job. For some reason, God would have it. I think we knew, me and my sister knew that what we were living was not the right life. We knew that it was not what it was supposed to be. Because what was funny was we were never allowed to eat fresh food. So every time we, today, when everybody eats fresh food, we will eat yesterday's food. That became a norm. Uh, so we knew that that life was not the right life. I think I escaped home many times over. You know when you go sell and you get hungry and you borrow the banana you are selling? And you remember that when you get home, they're going to hit you hard. So you decide to disappear in the, fam in, the, in the community. For some reason, every second day, they found me. I think I escaped 19 times, and I was found 19 times. <laughs> so my, my escape strategy was terrible. Fast forward, at age 10, I was sitting in a veranda with my, um, uh, my cousin brother, and I, saw two, I see two strange ladies approaching. And these two strange ladies approaching, they are sort of taking, asking people where is this one house, and they finally get pointed at our house, and, and there we are. This lady comes in and gives me a huge hug and calls me by, by my street name, Doty. I'm like, eh, who's this woman? And then she says, I'm your mom. I'm your mom. But I've been always told that this mom is my mom. My grandfather is my father, so who are you telling me I'm your mom? Now I'm 10 years meeting my mom for the first time. I tell you that day, it must have been in the afternoon about 2 o'clock. I did feel I'm going to have freedom that day. I did. Something told me, this is freedom for you. Whether it's mom or no mom, these two women equal freedom to you. I felt it. Maybe for some reason I wanted it to be that. Now, I, I cannot express an emotion of a 10-year-old, except what I know is that there was a, a negotiation, a Codessa-style negotiation in 1986 on the, 10th, on the 8th of November, which happened to be my birthday. So it's a negotiation. I know the negotiation that's taking place there is not going well. Where have you been all these years? What do you think the kids were eating? You never showed up even once. You now come and say, these are your kids. Your mom wants them. Sorry, you won't have them. It's a negotiation. I think I remember that day after the recess of the negotiation, my mom asked two things from, from my, my, my captive parents and said, can I bath these kids? Apparently, we were so dirty. You can hide a five rand and a ten rand and a one rand in my heels. So we were washed for the first time. 
I don't think I knew how dirty I was until this woman showed up at that time. And the second thing she asked was, can, they sleep, can we sleep with them in the same, same bed? And they granted her the permission. And, and the next day, the, the negotiations were to start at 9 o'clock. So we wake up, she passes us, and she says, can I go buy them something at the shops? And they say, yes, here's the security guard, which is my cousin, to make sure nothing happens. We go to the shops, and the shops happen to be on the same street as the main um, uh, transportation system. So I don't know what happened. The next thing I knew, I was, I was shoved into a van, and we were running away. And I remember the young man that was asked to look after us was running back to tell everybody they are running away. And off we went. So, like I said, it felt like freedom for me when I saw this woman. The next day, I realized it was freedom. I promise you, I was so cooperative on this move. I was like, anything, let's go, let's run. This is not going to work. Um, I, I am reflecting on this story of my first 10 years because a lot of the parents in this room come from similar circumstances. A lot of the parents in this room felt like their future meant nothing to anyone. They were trying to fulfill somebody's destiny. So fast forward, I get to a street called 485 William Street in Dobsonville. And, and there's 18 people in the house. We are, we are child 19 and 20 in a four-room house. So four-room is always misrepresenting. Kitchen, dining room, room one, room two. That's what it is, because this four-room assumes there's four bedrooms. So I know very well that my first step is to sleep in the kitchen. I think I slept in the kitchen for 12 years before I made it to the dining room, because there's so many of us. Um, at you, a lot of parents will relate, these kids might not. So in there, I know that I was coming in as an outcast. And the story was, you have been stolen. Everybody knew that. These guys were stolen from rural Guazul. But here's what was exciting for me. I got told, next day you're going to school. Yeah? In November. January, you're going to school. Yes, yes. I was like, this is heaven. Apparently, I never missed a single day of school since then. But there are a couple of things I learned about what it meant to go to school. Number one, there was no uniform. Number two, there was no food at home because it was only my grandmother who was, working, who was earning pension every month. And the pension wouldn't last five days. So the rest of the other days, we were all starving. But I had a talent. My talent was to sell anything to anyone. So I used my talent. So I, I happened to be in town one day. I lost my train fare to come home. And, and I was stranded. I, was, I grew up in a way that says, you never ask for anything from anyone, you work for it. Because that's what I learned for my first 10 years. You work for everything, you don't beg. So I saw people 
taking, shining other people's shoes in central Johannesburg, I was like, this is the job. I remember taking out my socks and I found my shop, myself a job. Every Saturday, every school holiday, I was in town shining people's shoes. I promise you, I was the richest kid. Um, I was the richest, richest kid at home, richest kid at school, and in the neighborhood. My pockets were always full of cash. I would go to pep store, I would lay by school uniform for myself and my sister. I would get to Equazy Station, buy things to be eaten at home, make sure there's bread every day. Now, this is me at 11. I just want you to understand. Me at 11, I'm now a breadwinner of this household with 20 people. But it came naturally for me because the last 10 years that I saw as the worst of my life turned out to be the best because it prepared me for this new path of providing for 18 people. Now, I... I was always five years older than everybody in class. So there was a very nice joke that I would, I would be given. They say I must call myself sub A boss. With a phone next to me, I need to ring, I must answer it. Sub A boss speaking, how can I help you? It was a joke of the whole school. For some reason, I happened to be shorter. The only thing that gave away my age was my calves were always very big. You can see I creep a little. <laughs> so I learned a number of things being always five years uh, older in class. For some reason, it didn't bother me because for some reason I felt education was the only thing I needed to make my life easier. I don't know where that came from. I call it the spiritual connection with the Most High, who always said to me, you are never walking alone, I am walking with you. Um, to make me feel better, he always said, there is somebody going through worse situation than you. You complaining about this? And I was like, okay, then I'm not the only one. So that kept me going. And, and I think I finished matric with a university acceptance. I'll bore you the rest of the other detail. At 24, I went to the doors of a university for the first time. Now, I'm seven years older than the first person walking into the school. People who know me at university know I was the most disciplined student. Yo, I was like, yo, Buffett, yo, I need this qualification. So I'm doing PSC computer science. Um, all my subjects are maths, applied maths, um, math pure mathematics, statistics, and computer science. And I went and did an arbitrary course called zoology, just to balance this maths thing, you know. At, within three years, I said to myself, within three years, I want to complete my qualification, and I did. I left university with a BSc in computer science. And, and and I, I looked at it and I said, I wish my grandfather would be around to see the mind thing wasn't going to work for me. 
the one cow and the wife wasn't going to work for me. So whilst working, I realized that I think I'm a leader because my early years taught me to be a leader. So this thing of sitting behind the computer and programming is not going to be my future. So I said, maybe I should uh, enroll for a master's. And I think for me, my logic that time was I want a master's to transition from being a technical specialist to being a generalist. But also I felt I'd like my story to be an inspiration to someone. I'd like to do this, this master's overseas. And that's when I applied for the Nelson Mandela Scholarship and I spent almost 18 months in the UK. And, and every time I went into this university, I, I always felt I represented every child that was told you are never going to amount to anything. I also felt that I do this master's to prove to myself that I'm smart enough. I thought maybe the undergrad was a chance. This master's was a confirmation that I did. Yeah. Yeah, no. And then, and, then, and then, inspired by Nelson Mandela's quote that says, education is the only transformative tool that can take a child of a person and make them a president of the country. I was like, I'm that child of the percent. And I want to pursue education because Mandela went on and further said, you must study at the high, up to the highest level of your qualification because that's where the pinnacle of inspiration lies. That's when I started to register for my doctorate. 2019, I said, I want to try this doctorate thing. It was supposed to take me six years to complete it. I completed it in three years. I am, I am sharing this so that you can be inspired. I would like to leave you with a couple of lessons that I think I borrow from as I travel this journey so that at least you can be able to apply them. Number one, Adversity is a catalyst. The struggles became a catalyst for personal and professional growth, pushing me to explore unconventional paths to sustain progress during turbulent times. Adversity wasn't a roadblock, but a transformative force. I don't care what your background is to have arrived where you are. What matters is where you're going. You have all what it takes, but it's not going to be easy. So never use your adversity as an excuse, but use it as a force that pushes you forward to want to be better than everybody else, to make your family better, to make your life better, to take people along with you, to take the community with you, just like what Tadesiaka is doing. Number two, resilience and determination. Overcoming financial strains and career uncertainties required resilience and determination. Embracing change despite challenges became a pivotal lesson in both my professional and personal character. Number three, proactive stance. 
Always take a proactive stance in pursuing your goals. If you know which university you're going to, it's your duty to apply. No one's going to come and apply on your behalf. If you know what you want to study, find somebody who studied it. Ask them how they did it. Learn from them and go for it. If you're waiting for someone to save it, you'll wait way too long. Can you imagine if you waited 10 years to be saved by your mom like I did? So for the young people in the audience, please take the following. Embrace challenges. Adversity is an inevitable part of life, but it doesn't define one's potential. Embrace challenges as opportunities for growth and transformation. Number two, resilience matters. The ability to bounce back from setbacks, unexpected obstacles, is a testament to the power of resilience. It's not about avoiding difficulties, but facing them with strength and determination. Number three, navigate change. The journey involves navigating through unexpected twists and turns. Adapting to change and being resilient in the face of uncertainties are essential skills for personal and professional growth. Late start is not a disadvantage. The fact that you are start, you're starting late, or maybe you need to postpone going to university by another year or two years, or you've worked, you realize this is not the pathway, go back and start. It's not a disadvantage. A delayed educational start does not diminish one's potential. The journey may commence late, but it can be unique and enriching experience, offering different perspectives and a set of skills. As I conclude, I would have written a lot, but I'm mindful of time. In closing, my pastor, let's remember the words of wisdom he imparts and reinforcing the importance of unity, compassion, and shared purpose. As we celebrate the accomplishment of these young individuals and the entire community, let's continue supporting each other on this collective journey of growth and achievement. I am reminded of the words of my pastor who often says, in the tapestry of life, we may not understand the intricate detail, but we must trust the journey. As we gather in this moment, let us trust the beautiful journey in each student's life, in each family's journey, and in the broader fabric of our community. I consider the opportunity to stand in front of you, to share my story, to tell you that it's possible, to tell you that there are no limitations, to tell you that it's up to you, but to also tell you that you have an amazing community in the church that will always be there for you, with you all the time. All you have to do is to raise your hand and say, I need help. You'll be amazed how many people will come to your rescue. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this celebration. May each step you take be guided by wisdom, fueled by passion, and filled with the promise of a brighter future.
I would like to end my address with a little prayer. If you may all rise. Feel free to pray with me. This is an impromptu because a church is my home. I am who I am because of the church. I am grateful that I'm in the midst of brethren. I am honored that I get the opportunity to share my journey. My first one since I became doctor in the house of the Lord. Yeah. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to share our journeys because they are supposed to be an inspiration. They are supposed to be a guiding light for you sent us in human flesh to show us that whatever we embark on it's possible. Lord, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't because of your love, if it wasn't because of your strength, if it wasn't because of your companion, and if it wasn't because of your guidance. Lord, the spirits of those that decided that a celebration like this is warranted in this community, may you continue to anoint and bless them so that they can be a blessing for generations to come, so that the others that look upon them can carry the baton and continue to do this. Lord, may you bless this church, its leadership to continue to know that in the world out there is a jungle. We need to fulfill our spiritual being in the house of the Lord and send people out so that they can come back and share a testimony of your amazingness. Lord, we pray for the young people that are here in their uniform. Tell them, Lord, that their future is bright. They are the future presidents, principals, educators, of this country that we look up to them that they will know they'll face challenges but lord we bring all to you because we know it's possible through you lord guide them assure them give them strength to overcome lord we invite you in this moment with a grateful hearts and i thank you for the opportunity and lord in jesus name amen